And, and so they just said, well, that's Christianity or that's. And, and so I thought, well, how better to start this year? Let's get back to the basics. Let's talk about the fundamentals of it. If you wonder what that means, here's the actual definition of fundamentals. Serving as or being an essential part of a foundation, forming the base from which everything else develops. That's the foundation, or that's the fundamentals. Here's what um, arguably the greatest basketball player to ever play the game, Michael Jordan, said about fundamentals. He said this, get the fundamentals down and the level of everything we do will rise. I'm convinced as a church, as a Christian, followers of Jesus, if we can get the fundamentals down, everything else we do will rise. Everything else we do will rise. And last week, I started off asking this question. What are you going to do with what you have now? Because we've all been given something now. What are we going to do with I love it. Last week, uh, one of the ladies in the church came to me and said, Hey, I want to cook for the new to the bar luncheon. And she's a great cook. Thank God. Uh, and, and so then he said, well, she, he, she said, Pastor Kelly said, what are you doing with what you have now? I can cook. So I want to cook for the new to the bar. But we talked about this one thing that every follower of Jesus has, the word of God. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with what you have now? It is important in a Christian's life. Because here's the thing, what you say you believe means nothing if you're not walking it out. Are you following me? See, don't get all ticked off and mad that Bibles aren't in school when you don't walk out what the Bible says in your life anyway. Or are you following me? We, we get mad. We get angry. We'll see. Oh, if they, you, ever, you don't burn the Bible around me, I'll stomp a mud hole in you. Well, I think you're... Right there walking away from what the Bible says to do. I get it, though. There's people I want to stomp a mud hole in. Don't look at anybody. Just keep your face down. <laughs> so I get it. But it's important the word, how the Word of God is vital. So today, though, um, I was reminded of this elderly woman that had just gotten home from uh, church Bible study. And she walked into her house to an intruder that had broken in and was robbing her. Without hesitation, the woman shouted out, Stop! Acts 2.38. The intruder just froze. Did not move a muscle. I mean, the woman called 911, called the cops. The intruder, he just stood there froze. The cops finally get there. They handcuff the guy, put him in the car, and they're like, Man, why did you freeze and just stay still uh, when all she hollered at you was a Bible verse? The, the thief said, Bible verse? I thought she said she had an axe in 238. <laughs> so, little Bible trivia. How many know what Acts 238 says? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Today we're talking about this very important fundamental of our Christian walk, repentance. So why are we talking about it? Because it's a fundamental that so many Christians get wrong. But what do you mean? How, if I, I'm not going to ask, don't raise your hand. But if, 
what most of us think of, especially the world, world, those that don't go to church, when they hear the word repent, now, the first thing that probably runs through their minds is they see some guy out on the street corner holding up a sign telling us if we don't repent, we're going to hell. And so that's all most people, when they hear repent, they're like, uh, no thank you. Because we don't fully understand what the word means. But it is an important word. Listen, if it wasn't important, if it's important to God, it better be important to us. See, the Bible uses some form of the word repent 101 times. It is the first step into us becoming a Christian. Repentance is. And, and so uh, for a lot of us, man, the word rarely gets used. And when it does get used, it gets used out of context or, or not properly used. So, And here's the thing. We're a culture that wants to avoid anything uncomfortable. Like we don't want to... We want to avoid confrontation because that's uncomfortable. There's some talks we need to have. We want to avoid because it's uncomfortable. I mean, why? Because we want, as I said, we want to be happy, happy, happy. That's what we want. That's why our social media feeds. That's why our commercials, they try to sell us. Hey, if you'll do this, buy that. If you'll become this, then you'll finally be happy. That's why the sex industry is over a billion dollar a year industry. Because we think, hey, that makes me happy. And we look for these things that make us happy. And so many of us are not experiencing the life that God has purposed for us. Because we are unwilling to be made uncomfortable and some of the things that God's trying to say to us. So let's start. What is repentance? I'm glad you asked. Um, let's start with what it's not. Repentance is not coming down to the altar, crying, getting it all out off your about you. Nothing has changed about you. I grew up watching people, including myself. I'm in on this. But it was almost, you could see about every three to six months, walk in those doors, come down to the altar. They would cry. They would sob. They would do everything, get up, walk out, leave. You wouldn't see them until the next time that they needed to get it off their chest. That's not repentance. That's confession. In fact, one writer, Eugene Bolton, said this, confession without repentance is just bragging. Just bragging. So let's look at the foundation of repentance, what it really is. Acts chapter 3. Uh, in Acts 3, uh, uh, you find, we find Peter preaching his first message. Um, he, he gets up, man, he boldly preaches this message. Now, this is right after uh, Jesus has been crucified, uh, put in the tomb, rose from the dead. And, you know, Peter denied Christ. Well, this is after all that. And Peter gets up, preaches his first message, sees 3,000 plus people get saved that day. The church is born on that day. So, so Peter and them, from then, you, as you're reading through Acts 3, you find Peter and John, they're heading to the temple to pray. Well, as they're on their way to this temple, there's this beggar, the Bible says, sitting at the, be, uh, sitting at the gate, one of the gates to the entrance of the temple. The Bible says this beggar had been lame from birth. He had never known what it's like to walk on his two feet. I mean, from birth, he's crippled. From birth, he's lame. And he's sitting there doing what he does every day, 
asking for money. Well, here come Peter and John, and they're walking to the temple, and so the beggar, the lame guy, sees them and does what he does. Hey, can you spare me any change? Could you give me any money? And, and Peter pretty much looks at the guy and says, man, I'm a preacher. I'm broke. Uh, that's not what he says. Uh, <laughs> Here's what he actually says. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter then reaches down, grabs the guy by the hand, pulls him up, and for the first time ever in this man's life, he is able to walk around on his own. And the Bible says then Peter and John begin, they keep going to the temple. Well, this man... It's, I mean, literally wraps him, his arms around Peter's waist and will not let Peter go. And so Peter's going into the temple, kind of dragging this guy behind him as he's going. Well, everybody's looking on. They see what's happening. And those people that had walked by this beggar every day, knowing he was lame, now see him walking. These are the same people that just days earlier had rioted for the crucifixion of Jesus. And look what Peter says to them, verse 13. Peter says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, the beggar, whom you see and know was made strong, it is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. If you didn't know any better, Peter was taking full advantage of this moment just to let them have it. You did this. You did this. But when you know the heart, because I can see that because aren't we emotional people? Isn't it funny how we can allow our emotions to take our eyes off the prize? We can allow our emotions to cause us to forget who we are. Come on. I'm not the only one that in the heat of the moment, somebody pulls out in front of me and I decide to let them know they're number one with the wrong finger. Why? Because in the heat of the moment, we forget whose we are. But Peter didn't. Peter didn't do that. Instead, he leans in with this message. After he tells them all this, he says this, verse 19. Repent then. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out or forgiven. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Listen, don't miss the power of what he just said. Because Peter's looking at these people and said, listen, yes, you did kill our king. You did kill Jesus. Yes, you beat him. Yes, you humiliated him. But what I'm offering to you right now is a chance to have a relationship with the one that you killed. All you've got to do is repent and you will be refreshed. 
I love the way the pastor paraphrased it. It says this, repent and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. I love that. See, here's what I know. There's a lot of people in here today that need that. They need refreshing. They're weary. They're worn out, dried up spiritually. And you need a fresh wind of God to just flow through your life. But for most of us, the only way that's going to happen is through repentance. He said, repent so that your sins will be forgiving and refreshing will come to you. So what is repentance? I told you what it's not. So here's what it is. Three things that repentance is. One, repentance is a changed mind. A changed mind. The Greek word that that Peter uses here for repent is the word metanoia. Here's what it literally means. It means to have another mind. To have another mind. Peter's invitation to them is this. Hey, guys, listen. I know this is what you thought about Jesus. This is how you felt about him before. When you were hollering, crucify him. When you were saying, hey, let a murderer go and give us uh, and, and crucify Jesus. This is what you thought. But my invitation is to allow him to change your mind to where now you see him properly as the Messiah. That's his invitation. See, when it comes to our salvation, repentance is not an option, guys. I mean, you cannot truly become a follower of Jesus unless you repent. It's not, it's a non-negotiable, negotiable. Repentance is a changed mind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And the people at Corinth were a lot like Watts Bar Community Church. It was filled with people from different backgrounds, different uh, lifestyles. Different ways. This the, the gospel was very new to them. And Paul comes in, begins to preach to and teaches them truth. He teaches them Jesus crucified, resurrection, or resurrected. And then man, Corinth got this, they started out strong. But then as it usually happens, old habits, old lifestyles, old choices begin to creep back into the church. And before they know it, Paul hears about, man, they're having sex with each other. They're preaching bad theology, twisted theology. And he realizes they have wandered so far away from the actual gospel. And so he sits down and writes them a letter. And this is what he says, 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. Even if my letter made you sorrowful, I don't regret sending it. Even though I felt awful for a moment when I heard how it grieved you. Now I'm overjoyed. Not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow. And as God intended, it brought about gain for you, not loss. So that no harm has been done by you. You experience godly sorrow as God intends. Listen, I hate to break this to you, but there are times when God wants you to experience sorrow. He wants you to experience. Why? I'm telling you, there's nothing like sorrow to make you desperate for God. There's nothing like you feeling like you have no other options than making you turn to God. 
It, it does that because sorrow has a way of bringing us to that place. But here's the thing. It's not just any kind of sorrow that does that. What kind of sorrow did he say that did that? Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Look at verse 10. God designed us to feel remorse, sorrow over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets. Godly sorrow is a good thing. It leads us to repentance, which leads us to salvation, which leads us to no regrets. But the sorrow of the world or worldly sorrow works death. Look how the message paraphrases this. Distress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God are full of regrets. End up on a deathbed of regrets. Two kinds of sorrow you will experience. First, worldly sorrow. Here's what worldly sorrow is. It's you view sin from your perspective. That's how you see sin. It's from your perspective. Here's what I mean. You see the consequences of your sin more as a frustration or inconvenience than anything else. I feel terrible for what I've done. I'm sorry I betrayed this person. I'm sorry I cheated. I'm sorry I lost my temper and go off on people. I'm sorry. But you know what? If God didn't make me like this, I wouldn't do it. Or if God would just take this away from me, quit making me lose control. Quit, uh, if, if God would give me something, to, then, then I wouldn't do all this. And while those are good aspirations to want God to take those things away from you, the problem is this. When God doesn't just show up and magically remove those thoughts, remove those desires, remove that temper, then we get angry because we're frustrated at the consequences sin caused. It's God's fault, not yours. See, worldly sorrow will destroy you from the inside out. Godly sorrow, here's what it is. You view your sin from God's perspective. You begin to see it like this. What have I done to break the Father's heart? And from that place of sorrow, you allow God to come in, begin to change your mind, to begin to change things about the way you see some of the things, you, the way you've been living or things you've been doing and it no longer is a frustration or convenience but you begin to see it through the eyes of God that God says listen I don't want to be separated I don't want distance from you and this breaks my heart that you're doing this godly sorrow is a good thing it, it may not feel like it when, when you're feeling it but it is a good thing that produces good fruit see the thing about both of these sorrows they both produce fruit Worldly sorrow uh, or, or godly sorrow, it produces a fruit that it, over time, it just gets sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Worldly sorrow, it produces a fruit that just keeps getting bitter and more bitter and more bitter. Both bear fruit. So here's the question. How do you see your sin? Do you see it as a frustration and inconvenience? Or do you see it from God's view? 
with a sorrow that will produce life and bring about change. Listen, I pray, man, I, I, I don't want anyone leaving here today with worldly sorrow. So number one, repentance is a changed mind. Again, the Greek word for that, for repent, is metanoia, which means a changed mind, but it also means more than that. Here's what it means. It means a change in your paradigm, change in your worldview. Change in your thinking and behavior. I want to give you a great definition of what repentance really is if you're taking notes. Repentance is a changed mind that leads to changed behavior. Here's why this series is so important to us, guys. Some of you grew up seeing a lifestyle that broke the Father's heart. But your mind, while you watched it, while you grew up watching that, your mind was training you to say, this is normal. This is just the way it is. And so you never really understood it was breaking God's heart. To you, it was just normal. Some of you grew up in a church where you saw a parent or other people in church that called themselves Christians. And at church, they were one way, but outside the church, they were a totally different way. And so your mind began to get trained. Well, this is what a Christian looks like. And this is important because I'm telling you, God wants to do a paradigm shift in the way we see things. Because some of us have a wrong mindset and we need our minds changed. There's an old song by a group called Sister Hazel. Maybe I'm a music guy, so you probably like Sister Who. Uh, but the song was called Change Your Mind. And here's what it said. It said, if you want to be somebody else, if you're tired of fighting battles with yourself, if you want to be somebody else, change your mind. Here's the problem with that. We can't change our own mind. Only God can change our mind. We can't change those things about us. I wish we could, but we can't. Come on. We have tried over and over and over again. And if we could do it on our own, how many say, I would have done it on my own. But we can't. We've got to get to a place where we're willing to be made uncomfortable and recognize our sin for what it is. And just say, God... Break my heart for what breaks your heart. Help me to see things the way you see them. Change my mind. See, we talked last week about our response to the Word of God is vital. Our response to today's Word and how we see repentance is going to be vital to where we go from here in our walk. We've got to be willing to say, God, break my heart. Help me to see my sin, my rebellion, my selfishness, not, not, not through the eyes of it annoys me, it frustrates me, it inconveniences me, but through the eyes of God, this is separating between me and you. This, I don't have the intimacy I could have because of this. God, get this out of my life. Repentance is a changed mind. Before we go to number two, that was my longest point, so don't get worried. It's a changed mind, but second thing, repentance is a change of direction. Change of direction. Uh, in Ezekiel 14, um, God has told Ezekiel, I want you to gather all the elders. 
all the elders together, I've got a word for them. And God begins to reveal to Ezekiel that these elders, the people of, uh, of Israel, have set up idols in their heart. And this is what he says to them, Ezekiel 14, 6. Therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, and look at this, turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices. God says, turn from your idols. What does that mean? Change directions. Change directions. Change your life direction. See, here's the thing. True repentance always results in changed behavior. Always. When you begin, uh, when God begins to break your heart for what breaks his, it has to lead in a change of your lifestyle and direction. And if it doesn't, all you're experiencing is worldly sorrow. Here's something pretty interesting about the word metanoia. It was also, back then, it was also a military term. And it would be equivalent to like if you were in, in the service or if you were going through boot camp and you were doing your march and that commanding officer would give this command, about face. That's what it meant. And that means you turn around and you begin to march in the opposite direction. That's repentance. You're going this way. And God shows you some things. Then you turn around and be going, begin going in the other direction. You know what the, part, the, the, the problem most Christians have? We thought repentance was a complete turnaround. We're going this way. I repent. And we turned away from a moment, but we kept going until we were headed right back in the same direction. So here's the million-dollar question. What does repentance look like in your life? What, do, what, what, is, what would a change of direction look like in your life? Because here's the truth. Everybody in this building watching online, everybody, including myself, has at least one direction change you need to make. If you're like me, You've got pages full. But let's start with one. What does that look like to you? For some of you, maybe it's your thought life. What do you mean? I mean, when everybody's gone to bed, you find yourself back up on the computer or on your phone looking at things you know you shouldn't be looking at or having conversations with people you know you shouldn't be having conversations with. So well, what does repentance look like for you? What it looks like is, God, forgive me of this. I'm about to make a 180 turn. And it means you call some friends and say, listen, I, I want to make myself accountable to you. It might look like you downloading an app like Covenant Eyes that, that, that goes out to some of your friends and lets them know on a daily basis what sites you've been visiting. Because, come on. And you, Keller, with that help, well, listen, I don't want to get a call from my buddy saying, hey, what's this busonly.com you've been on? <laughs> it keeps you accountable. <laughs> you like that, didn't you? Secretly, uh, Jacob's like, oh, I've been there, done that. Like, no. <laughs> oh, oh, you thought it was barbecue. Oh, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. That's a good try. That's a good try. 
I was starting to say something I can't. Oh, man. Anyway, let's move on before I get myself in trouble. But change of thought, it might be that person. Come on. There are some people that are just so negative. If they open, they're the person that has a problem for every solution. Let me just say, if that's you, you wear me out. In fact, I find my anxiety going up, and I don't want to be around you. Can we be honest? I just don't. So what does repentance look like for you? It may mean, hey, you giving a good friend rep- uh, permission to just punch you in the face every time you're negative. No, no, no. no. Somebody got a little too excited. If we see somebody walk in with a black eye, we'll know who it was. No, but what it may mean is you saying to your wife or friend, listen, because how many know it's hard to see things about yourself? They may be seeing you talking to your wife, your husband, or your friends. They listen. I, I, I can't see that, but I've heard it enough to know it may be true. But will you call me on it and let me see? Listen, that's tough, but that's what repentance looks like doing something about the situation. It may be in a relationship. It's about to get heavy. Maybe you're in a relationship that's causing you to make choices that's breaking God's heart. See, I know, and that this is where it gets back to what we've seen growing up or what our culture tells us, that, hey, man, sex is just sex. Do it with whoever you want, wherever you want. Well, it's just sex. Or live together, man. Try it out first. See how it works. But God is saying, no, you've got to, what does my word say about it? And because that should be the authority on our life. So what does repentance look like for you? It may look like you sitting down with that person having a hard conversation that says, hey, listen, if we can't continue this in the way God says it's supposed to be done, we're done. We're done. And let's get, get more real. There's some of you that are single. You need to quit dating for about a year. You need to quit finding your value in somebody. And maybe quit dating for a year and just lean into God. And instead of saying, God, send me Mr. or Mrs. Right, say, God, you know, you make me Mr. or Mrs. Right. You make me who I'm supposed to. So that when the right person comes into my life, I'm ready. I'm ready. And it's another thing. Let, let, me, let me go. I'm going to stay here for a moment just because I know it's making y'all uncomfortable. And that's good. So let's stay here. I'm not talking about, man, you're dating. You slip up. You know, you mess up. You fall. You sin. That's one thing. But when you know what the Word of God says and you live a lifestyle of that, there's never been true repentance. Well, Kelly, come on. Listen, I have never not once accidentally had sex with my wife. Not once. Every time there has been intention in it. So. (laughs) Mike, listen. I don't know why you're getting into mine and my wife's relationship. I don't know how you do it from where you're from, but we got people that carry guns in here. 
But, <laughs> but I'm saying maybe you've got to say, listen, here's what the Word of God says. And I can't, I can't, it has the authority in my life. So I, can't, I don't care what culture says. I don't care what society, this is what God says. And if I want the intimate relationship with him that I say I want, then this has got to change in me. Well, let's move on. What about addiction? Some of you don't need a drug dealer because in the words of Macklemore, your doctor's your drug dealer. And so what repentance would look like for you is you sitting down with your doctor, calling him and say, hey, these pills here, don't, don't prescribe them to me again. Because I can't handle them. I can't handle them. I'm that's drastic. I'm, if you won't, I'm telling you, that's what repentance looks like. It's drastic. It's a 180 turn in the other direction. Some of you, man, maybe it's the way you talk to your spouse, your kids, or your friends. Some of you need to repent and go to your spouse for treating them the way you've treated them or talking to them the way you've talked to them. Or your kids. And you need to say, hey, will you hold me accountable? And come to me and say, hey, I know you don't want to be this way, but you're getting that way again. I'm telling you, that's what repentance looks like. Others of you, you know there's a, you know the area that you need to turn in direction in. You know that. And we've got to be willing to get to be to be made uncomfortable. Or all we're going to be doing is living and trying to manage worldly sorrow. Look what he says to them in Revelations 2. God begins to speak to John um, uh, about the churches in, in, in Ephesus. And here's what he says in Revelation 2, 2, 5. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name and not grown weary. Those sound like great things, right? I want that said about me, man. Kelly, you persevered. Hey, you endured hardships. You never gave up. You never grew weary. God says, those are great things. But let me make you a little uncomfortable. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. The New Living Testament translation says, think about how far you've fallen. What's John C. says? Hey, think back to the way it used to be between us. You remember when it was, there was passion there? You remember when you couldn't wait to show up to church? Do you remember those times, man, when you loved spending time with me? Do you remember those? All those other things are great. But you know what might breaks my heart? The disconnect that I'm feeling between us. Because I, I, I look at this and, you know, God doesn't say, here's what I've got, I've got against you. You quit tithing. You quit serving. You quit going to men's group. You quit going to the women's thing. He doesn't say any of that. He says, no. What breaks my heart is we've lost connection. See, I know this. I'm, I'm a dad, a father to four. And I know one of the things that breaks my heart the most is if there's a disconnect between me and one of my kids. And a good father, it breaks your heart when there's disconnect 
between you and your child. See, Jesus didn't die for a religion. He died for a relationship. I mean, the cross is all about relationship. Following Jesus is all about relationship. And what's funny is God tells the church at Ephesus, hey, you're doing some great things. Keep doing those things. Keep it up. But it's breaking my heart that we don't have the same relationship we used to have. Which brings me to the third thing repentance does. Repentance restores relationship. I want to I close if I can get Bubba to come on up. With one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, the prodigal son. And if, if you don't know the story, listen, no big. I'm going to give you the cliff notes of it. It's basically the story of this father that had two sons. The younger son came to the father and said, hey, listen, I want my inheritance now. Which in that time, what he was saying is, you're dead. You're dead to me. So give me what's mine now. And, and the son takes his share. The father, for some reason, gives him the share. son then immediately starts down this road of brokenness. The Bible says he goes into pretty much a lifestyle of partying, doing whatever he wanted to do. He's got money. He's got friends. He's hooking up every night. He's living life for himself on his own terms. But there came a day when he ran out of money. And he found himself broken and empty. And maybe that's where some of you are today. You've been living life on your own terms. You're going out, hooking up. Maybe it's to fill this void that you feel, or this sense of inadequacy that you have. Or maybe the alcohol or the pills, man, maybe they just allow you to forget the real world that you're living in for a little while. But the problem is, you finally wake up, you finally sober up, and you're more broken and empty than you were before. That's where the prodigal son finds himself broke, broken, empty. And some of you know this all too well. Because of his choices, he has severed every good relationship that he had. Some of y'all know that too well. Because that was you. He finds himself face down working in a pig pen. It says that he's so hungry pig slot begins to look good to him. But that's what worldly sorrow will do to you. When you're broken and you're experiencing worldly sorrow, it'll start making things that you normally wouldn't look at, they start looking good to you. But look what happens in the middle of his worldly sorrow. We see step or phase one of repentance. Luke 15, verse 17. When he finally came to his senses. Stop there. What's happening here? He's having a change of mind. He's coming to his senses. He's having clarity. What have I done? I have broken my father's heart. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare and here I am dying of hunger face to the repentance I will set out and go back 
and say to my say to my father I have sinned against you against heaven and against you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me like one of your hired servants so he got up and went to his father you see what he did he got up he's going this way and he begins this journey down the same road that brought him to brokenness, that brought him to hopelessness, that brought him to sin, he begins to reverse that and head back toward the Father. And, and I can imagine, I mean, he, the Bible says he begins to rehearse in his mind, what, this is what I'm going to say to the Father. This is, what I, this is how I'm going to approach him. I, I have to feel like he begins to think, well, it really doesn't matter my, what I say. My dad's written me off anyway. After the way I treated my father, why would, why would I expect any, anything less than to, not even him not to welcome me back? I mean, think about the, some of the things we say to our kids when they mess up. I can't believe you. I don't even know who you are now. You've said it. I can't even look at you right now. If we say that, why, why would the son think that his father would do anything different than what we would do? After him saying, Dad, you're dead to me. But I'm so thankful that our father God is a lot bigger than us. I am so thankful our Father God, His ways are so much higher than us. I'm so thankful Father God doesn't hold grudges and doesn't hold on to things like we do. Come on. Verse 20 contains, to me, it's just this powerful, incredible verse. Look what it says, verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I want to focus on the first part of that, because that's what really gets me. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Why is it so, here's why it's powerful to me. That means every day, the father was standing on his front porch. Will today be the day that my son has a changed mind? Will today be the day that his, his thinking shifts and he returns to restore the relationship with me? Will today be that day? And I love this. When the father sees him, the Bible says that the father ran toward him. It doesn't say the father stood on the porch. Ah, there, look at him. I knew it would only be a matter of time. Get your scrawny tail up here. No. This is the moment that he saw his son from a far off place. He sprinted toward him. What you need to understand about the father when we repent and we make that 180 degree turn all it takes is the turn and when we make the turn the father 
Today's the day. And he sprints toward us. He runs toward us. And I love it because he runs from me, throws his arms around, and he says, my son is home. Let's celebrate. Let's throw a party. Put a ring on him because I want everybody to know they know what he used to be, but I want them to know that he is again part of his family. He is again my son. I want you to put a robe on him because I want the people to know he's not a slave. He never was a slave. He never will be a slave. He is royalty. See, you think you're a million miles away from God. How could he want anything to do with you? But you got to understand, this isn't the story about a son. It's the story about a father that is longing for a restored relationship with that son. And God wants you to know the moment that you give up, the moment you say, I surrender, the moment you say, I repent, and you turn around, you will find the father in an all-out sprint to you because repentance restores relationships stand with me I've done some stupid things in my life even as a Christian Dustin even as a pastor I've done some stupid things I've done some things that have broken the Father's heart. I've struggled with things over and over and over again, but it was only with worldly sorrow. And I had to get to a place where I saw it from God's perspective and where I began to hate the fact that I was breaking His heart. And I had to be honest enough and quit putting on a mask, acting like I've got it all together. And I had to be willing to get uncomfortable and say, here's where I'm weak. And I tell you, that's one of the strongest moments in my life because the Bible says in our weakness, he is strong. See, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. The kindness of God. I'm convinced, and I know this, even in the middle of our sin, if we will stop, come to our senses, God is waiting, and He's watching, wanting, will this be the day my daughter, my son has a change of mind? Will be, this be the day my daughter, my son, restores their relationship? Maybe I never did repent. I've been confessing a lot. I never truly repented. And I feel disconnected from God. I'm not even sure I've ever even had a relationship with Him. But I want that to change today. I want to repent. And I want a relationship with Father God. 
I want him to begin to change my mind, the way I see things, the way I do things. And I want that to start today. And I won't embarrass you, but if that's you, head bowed, eyes closed, just raise your hand. I want everybody in here to pray this prayer. And maybe you didn't raise your hand. Hey, pray this prayer along with me. Let everybody in here pray so that those that have raised their hand will know they're not alone. Dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. I realize today I've been living with worldly sorrow frustrated over my sin frustrated over the inconvenience of it but today I repent I turn around and I begin to see my sin through your perspective and I don't want to break your heart I want relationship with you So forgive me all my sins. Come on, all my sins. Past, present, future. I surrender to you. May I be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, keep your heads bowed real quick. If you prayed that prayer a minute, raise your hand. Come on, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, heads up. Wow. Thank you, guys. I didn't do this tonight, but I feel like we need to do it right now. We all know this world is jacked up. We know. I don't care which side of the fence you're on. See, I'm convinced as a pastor, I'm not called to support a certain political party. I'm called to proclaim the name of Jesus. That's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm called to do. But we all know something. This country needs a change in direction, right? We need a change in direction. The Bible tells us exactly what we need to do. 2 Chronicles 7.14. Pull that up for me. If my people, who's he, what, who's he talking to here? Us. The followers of Jesus, the church. He's not talking to uh, the, uh, the, the sinners. He's not talking to people. Uh, he's talking to us. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves, be made willing to get uncomfortable. They'll humble themselves and pray, seek my face and do what? Do what? Turn from their wicked ways. He's talking to the church. We can do some wicked ways. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. 
I just feel the need to go here. So I'm just going to go ahead and close this session. I was blessed the men and were headed down to, uh, uh, we took a staff to see Nate Bergetti last night, and Denise and I were headed down to that, and, and uh, I had my, my uh, phone on shuffle, this country song came on, and so this is my Chris Jensen, I think it was, and he's like, this is my American, started naming off, and, and I got to thinking, I felt like God began to mess with me. Yeah, God speaks to me near country music and rock and roll and rap and Jesus. But here's what I, God said, you know, everybody's version of America is different. You've got the Republicans that think if this would happen, America would be better. You've got the Democrats over here. If this happened, things would be better. You've got the people in the middle that don't know what would make it better. <laughs> but you've got you, you've got all these but here's what I mean as a church I'm not left I'm not right I want to be in the center of God's will I want to be in the center I, I want to be I, I want to be the, and I think that's, that's where we've got to be is because some of us get we are more passionate about our political beliefs than we are God. And you tick off and run off more people than you win to God. I mean, what would happen if we just could focus, started focusing on God? What do you want me to say today? I want your thoughts to become my thoughts. I want the way you see the world. I want to start seeing the world that way. I, I, I don't want to see this, these people as enemies. I want to start seeing them as, that's your daughter. That's your son. And I don't know about you. My kid could be dirty rotten. But don't you dare talk about my kids. And I think this scripture what we need to do. Pull that back up for me, please. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will heal, their, forgive their sins and heal their land. I think we need a fresh outpouring of God's what I think. I'm going to ask the team to sing this song and we're going to close out the word. I know we're running a little bit over. But I think this says where we as a church, as Christians, need to get in our pursuit of God. I want a fresh, fresh fire. I want Him to pour it out on me. I want, I want to be so soaking wet with His presence that I leave tracks everywhere I go. 